Hey, welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. If you haven't hunted yet this year, well, maybe this will um, be a real value to you. If you have, you might have experienced it already. We're talking about hot dogs. No, I don't mean the kind you put in your mouth. I mean your hunting companion and how hot they can get and the dangers that can accrue from that overheating. Tom Fumarello will be joining us, pro guide, shooting instructor, and friend of the show, among other things. The guy's a coach of numerous dimensions. He started this whole discussion with me, and so I'm glad he's going to join us. Plus, we'll have all of your comments and suggestions on that sort of thing. Plus, a new Upland Nation puzzler question. Maybe you'll win the prize. And a little bit of tips, advice, and anything else you might be able to use. It's all coming up on the Upland Nation podcast. So stick with me and Tom and all your friends who have commented on Facebook whose suggestions will be here as well. The Upland Nation podcast is brought to you in part by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products crafted at the highest caliber. Sign up for the mailing list. You'll get first notice on the new gear and also on the very rare sales that take place. And then welcome to our newest sponsor, Legacy Sports. You'll know them as Pointer Shotguns. Yep, my good friends at Legacy, Andy and Rick and everybody else over there, are bringing in some of the best, most affordable, most reliable shotguns. Whether you're starting out with a new over and under, you want to upgrade a little bit, you got a kid who's looking for their first semi-automatic, there's all sorts of choices at LegacySports.com. Just click on the Pointer Shotgun tab. Well, here's a guy that was kind enough to come all the way out to Topeka, Kansas to help out at our Fur Feathers Friends event a couple years ago. We had a great time, and one of those funny-looking dogs, you, you don't not quite sure what to make of it because it looks like a, you know, but then it's got a, you know, yeah. So anyway, I'll let him explain it. Tom Fiumarello joins us. Tom, where are you these days? Well, right now I'm down in Georgia. Uh, I designed a sporting clay course down here, so I'm um, basically putting it back together, and hopefully by the end of the week we'll have it done and operational. I love it. So by putting it back together, you're not saying it broke. You're saying... Uh, no, it didn't exist. <laughs> yeah. Okay. didn't exist. Oh, I love it. Well, I, I just shot 100 rounds at my favorite sporting clays course on Sunday, and uh, don't ask me how I shot, but but that's another story. Tell me, let's start with that. Well, first, let me give everybody just a brief orientation. Tom is a good friend of mine who's a uh, shooting coach, a hunting guide. He owns uh, some funny looking dogs. I'll let him explain about, but he's also, you know, he and I are simpatico in so many ways. He has a bachelor's and master's in uh, teaching and physical education and sports psychology and human performance. So those are the things that I think you'll see right off. Uh, but I'm kind of in the same world. Uh, mine was music. Yours was PE, but we're both teachers, and I just I think that's why we hit it off so well. Other than that, just a great guy. Um, have you been hunting at all yet, Tom? 
Yeah, we have been hunting, and uh, very honestly, we've been having a rough time doing it because <clears throat> back east covers actually higher than I've ever seen before, and we've been dealing with temperatures that have been skyrocketing in the high 70s and 80s, and this is not something we're used to dealing with with our dogs in, in September and October. Um, we're almost in November, and we're still battling 70-degree temperatures. Yeah, and, and that is uh, an issue in a lot of places, although if you follow the news at all, some of us in the West have been dumped on by multiple inches of rain in a day. But but for the most part, all of this starts to resonate. I was out last uh, 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 last week in the middle of the desert and, uh, and reminded again of how important this topic is. Uh, we will be exploring every dimension of dogs and overheating and warm weather and what to do about it. Um, but first, I've alluded to your dogs a couple times. Tell me a little bit about uh, your dogs these days. How are they doing? Well, they're doing very well. Uh, my 13-year-old Sugar, who's kind of started things off a little bit, um, I think she we're going to retire her this year. Um, if the weather cools off a little bit, I may still get her out a little bit, but um, I think she's on the on the throes of retirement. Um, Meg is the one that you uh, so fondly talk about. She's a Brittany with a long tail, and I, I kind of did that in my litter to spite one of my buddies who has a setter. Um, but you, uh, you, you saw her in action in, um, in uh, Kansas. And um, Ginger is my six-year-old, and we're now running a two-year-old by the name of Cayenne. And he again is a Brittany, and he is—he is probably going to be heads and tails the best dog I have. Um, he's done spectacular in training, and he's got the drive and desire that you, everybody wants to see in a gun dog. And and um, he's—he rounds out the used to be the Spice Girls, but now it's the Spice King and his harem. I love it. So, I love it. And I remember when he was just coming up and that was the dilemma. What do you name him if you want to keep the Spice Girl thing going? Um, hey, and just everybody, if you want to watch, um, watch especially um, his long-tailed Brittany in action, just go to my YouTube channel and watch. Uh, look for the hunting in Topeka, Kansas, the Fur Feathers Friends thing. They get a lot of camera time there, Tom and his dog, and uh, it, it's an inspiring show, not because I made it, but because of the people we had there and what we all did as a group. It was spectacular. Tom, um, tell me a little bit about the highlight of your hunting season so far. Well, the highlight really is watching this little two-year-old come along. Um, the other dogs are just dead solid, and, you know, you kind of know what to expect from them. But, you know, when you're, when you're running a young dog, um, every day is an experience. And though he's been extremely, extremely good, he continues to do things that surprise me every single time um, we take him out. And that's one of the things that – you know, we as gun dog guys who have dogs, I always said, my dogs show me something different every single time I take them out. They do something that I've never seen before. Um, and with him, almost every time I take him out, he does something that I've never seen before because he just hasn't had the experience of the other three. So uh, as far as the highlight, watching him run this year and 
and seeing him learn and seeing him get experience and and seeing him do things better and better has just been a highlight every time I'm out. Well, I had a, I had a similar experience on a quail hunt with uh, Flick last week as well. You know, you just saw the light bulb go off, and he'd put two and two together and finally gotten four instead of three or five. But uh, what was what was the thing that convinced you that he's making such progress? The retrieving end of the universe. Huh. Um, and young dogs, you know, we see retrieving and. You know, a bird will go 35 yards and they'll go 20 and, you know, turn around and come back and they won't mark as well as an experienced dog. But he's making retrieves both in land and in water that my older dogs didn't do till four and five years old. Yeah. Um, and, And that's what I'm seeing with him where he'll go on a retrieve to 20 yards and then I'll see him expand it and then I'll see him expand it. And all of a sudden he's where that bird was and it comes right back to my side. And um, the other day is a funny incident. I sent Ginger for a retrieve. I was running them together and I sent Ginger for a retrieve, which is his mother. And I wasn't kind of watching him and he kind of got a little bit frisky so he went and ginger was just about to grab the bird and he bolted past her about 80 miles an hour grabbed the bird as he went came back to my side and ginger picked her head up as if to say what the hell was that did you get the number of that truck because she just picked up her head like what just happened oh i love it and i you, you just had to laugh you just had to laugh I had that happen in Montana a couple weeks ago on a sharp tail retrieve. And uh, I think I told everybody, you know, the flick was working with me until he saw Tom shoot that bird 150 yards away from me. And then he went over and retrieved it to me. Ah, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, I can guarantee he wasn't going to retrieve it to somebody else. No, that's exactly right. I guess we should be flattered by that. Um, you yes, know, exactly right. I, I should remind people, you're up uh, generally in the Northeast, and that's as best as I will describe it at this point. You're, you're primarily hunting rough grouse up there, aren't you? Yeah, rough grouse, and we do guide a lot of you know upland hunts as okay. far as um, you know preserve hunts and that kind of thing also. So the dogs get a, a pretty varied degree. I mean... They're hunting roughs, they're hunting woodcock, they're hunting huns, they're hunting red legs, they're hunting pheasants, they're hunting chuckers. So they see a lot of different a lot of different breeds, that's for sure. That's great. Well, I would like to get on to talking about overheated dogs and what we can do about them. And I'm going to start with a story of mine that I haven't shared, I don't think, before. This is many, many, probably my first wire here. So this was a long while ago. And don't blame me, I was a bad trainer then. I like to think I'm a little better now. So we're at a we're at a, a hunting club and and the guy who runs it he's a guru he's a, he's kind of like you Tom he's a bit of a teacher he's uh, he's seen it all he's done it all and he's trying to you know he's trying to convey that information but in a way that is not overt so I shoot a bird which was remarkable anyway but the the bird drops it's dead Bill goes out to pick it up. He's halfway back, he stops, he drops a bird, and he comes the rest of the way in. I, I said, Don, what do I do at this point? And he says, well, nothing. I said, what do you mean? You know, aren't we supposed to be, you know, firm and, you know, expecting compliance and all? He says, it's 80 degrees. That dog can't 
pant and cool himself off without dropping the bird. I mean, imagine what would you do if you had a bird in your mouth and you were running a marathon? The first thing you do is spit out the bird. And that's one, that's probably as close as I've ever come to an, uh, an overheated dog because I've, I've since been extremely paranoid about it. Tom, was there some particular reason you thought it was important that we talk about this topic? Well, I mean, we're, we're dealing with record heats back east. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not used to seeing these temperatures in late October. Um, we're used to seeing the 40s and 30s in late October. I mean, where I am, the leaves haven't even changed yet. They're still green, um, which is unheard of. So that's one of the reasons. The second reason is uh, Meg, who is my best dog and my basic heartthrob, um, she's gone through cancer. She had 10% of her lung removed. So this year when she started working and I saw temperatures, I saw a drastic, drastic, drastic drop in performance. Well, the first thing you think of, obviously, is, oh, my God, the cancer's back. We've got, we've got another issue. And in reality, it wasn't cancer. It was temperatures. Yeah. And if it can affect a dog who has some issues or, or may have some issues, you, don't, you won't see it in a three-year-old that's really fit until it's too late. And then when it's too late, it's difficult to get back. And that's, that's kind of what um, the reason behind this, because again, with Meg, I noticed it right away. But in my younger dogs, we don't see it right away. We see the aftermath of a real problem. Mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. why. You know, you're right. I, re- I remember reading uh, somewhere long, long ago that uh, if a dog truly does have heat exhaustion or worse, um, it affects their mental capabilities and they will not be the hunter they were before. There's also a physical aspect to that. They won't have the stamina either. They may look like they pulled through and everything's fine, but they won't run as fast. They won't run as far. And for all we know, they're just not, um, they got some cognitive issues thanks to that overheated brain. Uh, which is yeah. really what happens. Yeah. They've cooked brain cells is what they have. So uh, let me, let me uh, first off, remind people you're listening to the Upland Nation. I'm Scott Linden. That's Tom Fumarello. Um, and I want to just talk about some of the symptoms of an overheated dog. Now, I'm not going to distinguish between uh, heat exhaust, exhaustion and heat stroke or, or any other heat-related uh, problems. They're all worth being mindful of thank goodness neither of us is an english teacher um so pay attention if you see any of this if your dog is looking for shade all the time uh, and and mine are always on the shady side of the sagebrush out here in the desert it's time to let them rest uh, and maybe stay there for a while and we had that happen a lot this summer while we were working out if he's digging holes and lying in those, you know as well as I, that's a little bit cooler. That soil under there is a little cooler. He's trying to cool off. Again, it's scary. If he never stops panting, even if you settle him down and hold him on your uh, heel for five or ten minutes, that's another risk. Then it's time to act fast. So if you see any of those things, and there are probably others out there, just Google heat injury or heat uh, problems with dogs, 
keep your eye on them. One of the uh, one of the listeners that I'm going to cite later has some other things in that regard as well. Tom, what do you do as a pro guide and an avid upland hunter? What do you do to, first off, prepare your dogs for warm weather and the hunting that comes there? Yeah, and that's that's a big thing. And acclimatization is is a huge thing. And your dogs have to have some time down on the ground in warm weather to be able to adapt to that. Um, one of the things I do is keep them short cut. I don't, in the summertime, uh, a lot of people don't groom their dogs, but I keep them really shortly cut because I don't want them to overheat. But we also swim them a lot. We wow. also give them... Um, situations where they'll be out in this 70 80 85 degree heat for short bouts of time um so they acclimatize to what's going on and one of the huge things you can do with a dog is hydrate that dog well 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 before you want to hunt that dog um you know there's a lot of stuff on the market and, and most of it is very very good stuff but if you are hydrating that dog days and days and days and days before that hunt, um, it, it acclimatizes those cells to hold and retain uh, water. And that way, your dog, dog can last a little longer, but also ward off some heat issues. Um, and you know, we see it a lot with dogs that, you know, couch potatoes all year, and then all of a sudden, you know, at a hunt, a guy brings them out, and all of a sudden, he goes 15 minutes, and, you know, and this dog is just done. Um, and, and again, different dogs handle it differently. If you're a black lab, you handle heat way worse than if you are a lean uh, English pointer that's all white, uh, very short-coated, that kind of thing. Um, we also use quite a few uh, supplements that allow our dogs to handle heat better, retain electrolytes, um, and, and get them ready to hunt before they actually are in the hunt. Many people try and try and hydrate and acclimatize while they're in the hunt. And if you haven't done something before the, before the hunt, you're never going to do it on the hunt. You can help it, but you can't make it a lot better. So and, and that's one of the big things. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I was the um, MC at the uh, South Dakota Governor's Invitational Hunt a few years back, and it was wonderful. Of course, had a great time, and, uh, and one of the few people who um, can say they actually guided um, Ted Turner, such as it is. But um, one really tragic aspect of that weekend was the heat. Um, a lot of people came to South Dakota that early fall, uh, second, third week of uh, October, and killed their dogs. 200 dogs is a number that I was given several times by independent sources. That's how many dogs died of heat-related injury that warm weekend. And to a great degree, if you ask the experts, it was because those dogs had been couch potatoes all year, had driven out to South Dakota. They were put in a field, a lot of standing corn. If you've ever taken the temperature on the soil in a, in a cornfield in the, in the early fall, it's probably up in the 90s. And so that's the, that's the air these dogs are breathing. So first off, get your dog in shape. Second off, I love this idea of preparing a dog's cell walls 
to accept more hydration. What do you use in that world, Tom? Well, I'm, I, first of all, when I feed, I flood my, yeah. uh, I flood my food. So, uh, in, in regular kibble, my dogs are getting a quart of water, 32 yeah. ounces. Yeah. Um, so I flood their food. The second thing is we're used, I use two product products. One is from elements nutrition, yeah. uh, Todd Scheibel, um, excellent, excellent products. And the other thing I use immediately after a hunt is a product from Animac called Glycocharge. And it is an absolutely unbelievably good product that um, retains glycogen in the dog cells. Um, one of the things you need to do is make sure whatever you do, you do it. You let that dog come back to a normal temperature and a normal heart rate before you feed him anything. Um, because at that point, the blood and everything oxygen wise is going to other areas and you don't want to, you don't want to overtax us another system, but, um, the glyco charge and the products from elements is very, very good, but there's a lot out there. Um, and if you use them according to directions, they will help your dogs exponentially. Um, but again, it's not, okay, I'm going to use it today because it's 90 out. You've got to use it considerable amount of time to acclimatize, acclimatize those dogs um, cells to accepting what we're trying to increase. Amen to that. I'm a believer in both of those products you mentioned, although I'm going to ask you a few more nerdy questions about the second one, but um, the idea of, uh, of pre hydrating a dog uh, is is resonating with me and probably with a lot of people. It starts weeks, if not months, beforehand. The only problem I have with glycocharge and products like that, and I'm experimenting constantly with those because Flick does not take up that stuff. He says, man, that smells funny. It probably tastes pretty good, but to him it tastes funny. So we're having an issue. Glycocharge is uh, flavored with liver, um, I've experimented with liver. I've experimented with, um, with a number of other meat flavors. The key to it, of course, is you don't want a lot of fat in that glycocharge water mix. It's a powder you mix with water. Um, have you had a, a similar problem with the spice girls and the, and the spice boy? No, because what yeah. I do is I carry with me in the truck, the packets of, food that they usually put um, toppers on food yeah. and a bunch of different companies make them. So when I give the glyco charge, I put one of those packets in the water. Yeah. It immediately changes the whole outlook because Meg will not drink it straight, but you put one of those packets of topper in, which is very small. It's probably only, Oh, I'm going to say it might be three to four ounces, maybe not even. Um, it changes the whole world and they all, gobble it down right to the last bit okay so uh, no, um, let me just point out everybody that is golden that was worth your putting up with me for the rest of the podcast right there okay tom sorry to interrupt <laughs> no problem but you know they're they're in the cellular the foil packs yeah. they're very small you can carry them with you you don't have to worry about refrigeration yeah and they just gobble it so um you got to make it a little more palatable. And again, with any product, some dogs love it. Some dogs hate it. Yeah. But I try and, I try and disguise it pretty good. 
My uh, sponsor, Dr. Tim Hunt, who uh, creates the best in, the best dog food in the entire galaxy, um, had a, a, another bit of advice regarding a a, a glyc what we'll call maltodextrin based products. That's what that's what glycocharge yes. is. It's maltodextrin that dog takes up. The body turns it into. Um, uh, uh, come on, Tom, help me here. It turns it into, uh, anyway, this, it's the product that actually hydrates cells and also rebuilds muscle cells. So correct. Dr. Tim Hunt says dogs will more readily drink that stuff in a plastic bowl versus a metal bowl. And I got to tell you, my limited experimentation has, has proved that. So uh, if you're having trouble with a dog drinking whatever you decide to use as a maltodextrin uh, uh, supplement, consider that as well. Hey, we're just getting started here at the Upland Nation. Uh, that's Tom Fumarello, pro guide, shooting instructor at xcellsportingclayinstruction.com. That's X cell etc um we're going to cover a lot more of this sort of stuff we're also going to cover that upland nation puzzler and the prize you might win all of your comments and suggestions about a, keeping a dog cool it's all coming up right here after a short break tom rest your vocal cords we'll be back with you in just a moment all right, so um, hope you're enjoying this and learning something as well. We got a lot more to talk about. Uh, check out the Patreon page if you want to support the podcast and get in on some insider information. Just previewed another magazine article that won't be up for a couple months. It's on the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Upland Nation. And we're brought to you in part, speaking of dog health, by happyjackinc.com. Happy Jack uh, has something for everybody. Save yourself one or two or a hundred trips to the veterinarian. You can do most of the, the easy stuff at home if you have the right products from something for your dog's pads, like pad coat. We use it a lot on the lava rocks we got out here to seal and heal that'll cover up all the you know kind of the superficial wounds that your dog might get from uh from hunting in the rough country and then all sorts of ways to keep critters off your dog from dd33 to the flea beacon which stays in the kennel and takes all those mean critters and puts them in the little tray instead of on your dog's coat and speaking of trays roughlandkennels.com has a couple different stacking trays you could put on top of your roughland crate give you a lot more room in the back of the truck store everything from your gear to water yeah, what an idea water and then speaking of water are several ways to store and dispense it to your dog bird transport boxes if you're going somewhere for training it's all at roughlandkennels.com r-u-f-f roughlandkennels.com Tom Fiomarello, are you still there? Did I bore you to death? Yes. Oh, good. No, we're here. Okay, great. Um, tell me where you are and, and what's the course called? Well, I'm at Mossy Pond Outfitters um, in Patterson, Georgia. And uh, we're down here getting his five stand and his sporting clay course up and running. Um, and it's just one of the things that Mossy Pond has besides uh, dog training and um, 
upland hunts for quail and and that kind of thing so it's a nice place brad arrington i know brad very well i've known him for years so we're coming down here just trying to help him out a little bit cool so um i was pondering this on my second go round at my sporting clays course on sunday when you look at that land it's just raw plain it's got bumps it's got trees it's got flat spots What's the first thing you think about when you're looking at that basically a blank canvas? Where can I put a trap that's going to not look like a normal trap just sitting on a piece of flat ground? And what can I do with that trap to make it different and interesting? Yeah, that's got to be a challenge, you know, especially for the most sophisticated. Tom, are you there? Yeah, I'm oh. here. Unfortunately, yeah, truck going past. Well, that's better than the machine gun I thought it was. Uh, so, but, you know, a lot of guys would say, well, I've seen it all. You can't do anything that I, I've not seen before. So so now what? Well, for those guys, they haven't, they haven't seen it all because yeah. unless you've shot in Florida and Utah and Texas and Maine, everything is different terrain-wise. So... Consequently, um, it's it's a it's a huge difference when you go to different parts of the country. That's why pe people will go to Florida and have a real rough time shooting because it's so flat and all they have is palm trees. Yeah. But they shoot well in New York where the terrain is so much differently. You know, it's funny you bring that up. The the target that I'm having the most trouble with as I relearn the instinctive style of shooting is the simplest. It's the low going away straight away target and it's because i'm used to shooting higher or lower because that's where i hunt so i'm spending all my time and all my money shooting those simple targets these days um what's the the biggest the the most challenging target you created for mossy pond well we've got we've got some shondells out here that uh that definitely have a little bit of a uh, little bit of snap to them um and targets behind trees because we're putting a target where you really want to break it you can't break it you have to wait to either before tree or after tree so uh, those are things that baffle shooters because what they want to do they can't do yeah well i'm i'm skipping all those kind of targets until i get this uh the simple ones uh, uh figured out yep. but but yep. I, I i know that's a challenge for the course designer and for a lot of the folks who are out there on a weekly basis so yeah shondells uh, you know that's french for god damn it in my book um, yeah or can't hit it yeah exactly <laughs> well that goes without saying um, uh, here's a great suggestion from my hunting buddy and, and friend from up north, Felton Jenkins. We're talking about keeping dogs cool. Obviously, bring water. Let him drink as much as he wants. Sit down with your dog until he decides to head out again. I remember doing a video about that, not just particularly for heat, but just to get your dog settled and, and rested again. If you're sitting down, he, he probably puts two and two together and realizes he's not going to miss out on something. So do that. And our good friend in Montana, Al Gadori at 6X Outfitters, he's a big believer in a spray bottle. Yeah, you know, like you spritz out, you know, cleaning solutions and that sort of thing. Don't use those spray bottles, but he sprays the dog's inner ears and their feet. 
And now he's spraying their nose a lot more. Last time I was with him a couple weeks ago, he was using kind of a, 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 a smaller spray nozzle, but getting it into all of those nooks and crannies. You got to teach your dog that. But uh, oh, what else? Do I don't do? know if you're. I don't know if your listeners understand why you spray dogs' ears and feet um, because of the amount of capillaries and blood vessels in both of them. And plus, they they do sweat, and they yeah. sweat through their feet, and that's one of the reasons you want to keep both of those things cold. And that's why when a dog nicks an ear, yeah. it bleeds like they've slit their throat yeah. because of the amount of capillaries and blood vessels running through those ears. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm uh, recalling not fondly the last dog fight we had in our master bathroom. Luckily, all of that blood ended up on the tile floor and the tile walls. Um, here's a couple more symptoms of an overheated dog, just in case you need more. White gums. If the color of their gums is going from red to white, you're in trouble. If a dog appears confused or is unsteady on his feet, a lot of people will say, oh, that's low blood sugar, which you also probably ought to look out for if there is such a thing. But it's also a sign of an overheated dog. So um, in asking followers about um, this issue, I asked for hints and tips. And PD Jacket reminded me that uh, a veterinarian reminded him. And then I remember being reminded by Outdoor Life columnist Larry Mueller a long time ago. You put your dog in a pond or in a horse trough or you spray that dog off with water. Squeegee them to damp afterwards. And then I'm going to add this, Petey rub that hair so that it's standing up again because that hair that's laying flat is actually trapping heat inside their body through the coat um, that's something to consider if you're going to soak a dog down now the other thing and don hewitt reminded me of this over at olex preserve he says if you're putting your dog in water um, keep them in that water until they quit panting so we're doing that a lot out here in the high desert and whenever we need to. Now, if anybody out there has a hint on, or a technique on how to get Flick to lay down in shallower water, I'll be happy to buy you a beer the next time we get together. Tom, do you get your dogs to lay down like that? Um, I don't have any problem. They just lay down. Yeah. They just lay down in the water. Um, one thing I did want to mention, too, is cool our dogs at the end of a hunt and we'll spray them down with water and we'll cool them off and then many people put them in their kennel whether it be you know a rough land or whatever kennel they use well if they don't put cooling fans on those kennels yeah we've effectively created a sauna for that dog yes because they're they're evaporating water at 101 at 102 degrees with no way to get rid of that so um, fans and cooling that dog, and even at the end of a hunt, cooling that dog down and letting him be in the shade for 5, 10, 15 minutes before you put that dog in that kennel is really important. You know, uh, even here at home, when I'm running the dogs out uh, in the desert behind my place, I'll, I'll, wa I'll water them off, I'll spray them off, and now I will be doing that with their coats like Petey suggested. And then rather than bring him into the house, which my wife will cringe at, 
Uh, she's not supposed to know that, by the way. Um, I will leave him out on the front deck because we always have a breeze from the west, and so we're getting that same, I think it's called convection. You physicists out there know the difference between convection and radiation. I don't, but that breeze does help a lot to kind of wick that away. Uh, so, Petey, Tom's on to this. Thank you for that as well. Putting a box, dog in a box will steam them. Um Tom, um, you ever had any real scares out in the field with yours or with any other dogs? Yeah, I have not with any other dogs, but I did have a scare with mine. Yeah. Uh, Ginger, when uh, Meg, I mean, excuse me, uh, Sugar, when she was very young, um, had tremendous drive. And you couldn't tell what was going on with her because. She was 100 miles an hour at the start of the hunt and 100 miles an hour at the end of the hunt. And about midway of a hunt on uh, a warm day after I'd gotten her in the water a couple times, the only reason I knew she had a problem is because when she came to me, she was wobbling. She wasn't running in a straight line. She was kind of walking, and she was going side to side to side to side. And we got her out of the field almost immediately but uh, and got her to the vet. But, yeah, she was experiencing some degree of um, heat heat illness. Um, yeah. You don't want to use heat stroke or heat exhaustion because there's varying degrees of heat illness. Yeah. But she was getting into some degree of heat illness, and, and it was scary because one of the things that I see in my dogs is I know them so well, when one of my dogs becomes confused, meaning that, I'll see him run past a bird on the right side of the wind and they won't nail it. Or I will see them come to me and I'll see this bewildered look in their eyes and I know it's warm. When that happens, I know they've got some issues instantly. Uh, real good point and real good uh, uh, tips right there. That's Tom Fumarello. I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation. Uh, we're getting all kind of uh, prepared for early season uh, issues out there in the field. You know, in my book, I had to do a lot of research. And one of the things I dug up was kind of the basic first aid for any dog that looks like it's overheated. The first thing you want to do, get that dog to a cool area, put them under shade. If that's all you got a truck with the air conditioning on, if you got a fan and you're indoors, aim that fan at the dog. Uh, We do this every day what at our house our second workout of the day is in the afternoon we come into the house after he's stopped panting he's laying down right next to my elliptical trainer and i put the fan right on him while i finish my workout on the elliptical um Anybody here carry a Boda bag or something like that? I find those to be a great tool. Uh, Camelback is much the same. I, I don't think they give out enough um, volume, frankly. So I use uh, the modern version of a Boda bag. It squirts real well, and you can get a lot of water into your dog fairly quickly. Some of the other things, um, you can rub alcohol on the dog's belly and armpits, the chest and the top of the head, that stuff. Try it on yourself. It's amazing how cool that is. And Tom, you talked about capillary action. I think that's what that does a lot of times. It just brings the um, overheated blood over to the surface of the of the skin so it can cool out a little bit faster. Now, one thing you don't want to yep, do. And it, go ahead. And it evaporates so quickly 
that it's wicking away heat yeah uh from that dog yeah yeah the evaporation part uh, again whether that's radiation or conduction i don't know finally do not put a dog in an ice bath you'll just shock him and that would be worse than any condition you're facing with a heat problem if you have any doubts get your dog to veterinarian and take care of that um, before it becomes a real issue um, uh, sarah bullock uh, was one of the has had one of the best uh, suggestions about keeping your dog cool and i'll i'll, I'll end our our listener interaction with that one she says if natural uh let's see let's see where is that where is that oh yeah uh if natural water is unavailable water in the underarms groin etc take frequent shade and make sure the tongue stays red not purple tinged i get that i think there's an oxygen component to all of that and then christine schwartz says my dog always takes it upon himself to cool off in mud puddles the closer to the car the better Hey, I'll take that. That's why we own crates from Roughland or anybody else. Exactly why we put them in crates afterwards. <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, you know, we had some pretty funny smelling water behind a beaver dam last week on a on a chucker hunt. Yeah, beaver dam, chucker hunt. I know they sound like they don't go together, but in this case, they did. Um, and. It, you've smelled it maybe you didn't know what it was but there's a uh, kind of a black mud and that mud i bet you have a lot of that up in the north northeast tom fumarello oh yeah yeah when it, you get in the swampy areas yeah. and that kind of thing absolutely i don't even want to know why it's black or why it smells the way it does but it does and even if you hose them off there's some of the, it's not as bad as skunk but it's still there and that's exactly where flick was with the last quail of the day because we shot those as well there um so he he ran he ran all the way back to the camp in my crate instead of riding shotgun which he usually gets to do after a hunt and boy reminded once again if you don't know how to if you haven't crate trained your dog there's another good reason for it right there absolutely Tom, if if you wanted to leave us with um, maybe a hunting tip or two that has nothing to do with heat problems, uh, uh, what what would you tell most of us who kind of sort of know a little bit about what we're doing? What is something we probably don't know that you can impart to us? Well, when when I when I learned how to get these dogs to what I want to do, and and a lot of these areas that we hunt one of the things that it took me a long time to understand and we as humans always think we know better and the one thing that i would impart to anyone is trust what's in front of you because they know so much more than we do and it, i i don't know how many times on a down bird that i've sent my dog and I look up and the dog is 40 yards from where I sent him. And my comment is, what the heck is he doing over there? And then the next thing I know, that's where the bird is. And we as humans think we know an awful lot. And we do. But in reality, in, a, in, the, in the woods, in a hunting situation, boy, do these dogs know way more than we do. 
Yeah, I used to. And if I if, if I had to impart one bit of wisdom, that's what I'd impart. Trust what's in front of you. When I you first... can always fix it. You can always make it better. You can always <laughs> change it if you don't like it. But boy, I'll tell you, more often than not, they know way more than we do. One of the smartest moves I ever made was, uh, number one, sign in to deal with the Outdoor Channel many years ago to create the first high-definition hunting series. It also, by the way, had fly fishing in it. Don't hold that against me. I still love it. But I would open that show every week with one line. And, Tom, you just explained it. Once a tailgate drops, follow the hunter with the longest nose. Absolutely. Well, Tom, Absolutely. Tom Fumarello, if we want to learn more about you and, and your instruction and your hunting and all of that other stuff that you do, um, what's the best way to reach you? Well, either through my website, um, which is www.xcelsportingclayinstruction.com, or through uh, just a direct text or phone call or um, direct, uh, direct contact because uh, – we love what we do. We don't do all this. And, and most people don't do this because it puts food on the table. We do this because we absolutely love what we do every single day. And my dogs and being in the outdoors and my students are what gets me up in the morning. Um, because I had a great career as a physical educator and I loved every minute of it. But this, this, this gets me up in the morning because I get to make somebody happy every single day of the week, whether by breaking a target or my dog finding a bird for him, it doesn't make a difference. But when I can make somebody smile 365 days a year, nothing could be better. We'll hunt together again soon, my friend. That's Tom Fumarello. I'll put a link to his website on our website Thank you so much for being a part of the Upland Nation, my friend. Uh, we'll talk to you again down the road. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate you having me on. And uh, get the dogs down, get them up, put up another bird up or two, and enjoy this great sport that we, we all love. There you go. Tom Fumarello. Tom is with uh, XCell Sporting Clays Instruction. Hey, don't you slip away. We've got a, uh, a hunting story. Uh, yeah. Everybody learned from the one I'm going to relate. In the Upland Nation Puzzler with a potential prize for you. It's all coming up right here on the Upland Nation podcast. Which is brought to you in part by Dr. Tim's Natural Dog Food. I should say performance dog food because that's what he's all about. He's a sled dog racer. You know, this food, one of his formulations has won the Iditarod a number of times. He will deliver it direct to your porch. And the guy knows the chemistry involved in this stuff because he's also a veterinarian. Dr. Tim Hunt knows his stuff. Let's just leave it at that. And one of the things he knows most is some of the stuff that you should not put in a dog food, including artificial preservatives. Now, you'll have to dig a little deeper to find out if they're artificial or not. But if you go from the dog food bag to the dog food website, you should be able to figure that out. If it's got a chemical sounding name, well, I'd probably stay away from it. The natural preservatives that come from real food 
will do the job. They're either vitamins or amino acids or things like that. Learn more about all that stuff because Dr. Tim has nothing to hide. He's the original transparent dog food manufacturer at drtims.com. 30% off your first order. Just use the code UplandNation. Hey, have you taken the polls in the Upland Nation Insights newsletter? Well, the next one is fascinating. I can't wait to talk more about it. Um, it is, uh, I'm just interested in learning more about where you are and what you do in your free time besides chasing dogs, chasing birds and having a good time. So if you haven't subscribed yet, it's pretty easy. Just go to findbirdhuntingspots.com, sign up for the mailing list right there every week. Hopefully something in your email inbox that will be of use to you. Another chance to listen to the podcast, watch the latest video, learn something about your dog, learn some hunting strategies, and an article or two as well, plus the polls. So thank you for being a part of the Upland Nation podcast. Now, I promised you a story. Uh, and this one I, I only bring up because <clears throat> so many of us went through opening weekend and realized, my God, my dog went off the rails. He was so good up until today. And then something funny happened. Well, we were out in uh, southeast Oregon hunting chuckers on some pretty radical slopes. You know, I just finally learned how, when they say it's a five degree slope or a 12 degree slope, I now I know what it is. Um, this slope was about 40 degrees and it was wicked because it was not, uh, you know, the best footing. There were rocks and lava and things like that, uh, dispersed amongst the sagebrush and the cheatgrass. So I finally get a point out of flick. Um, and, he crashes in on the birds. I don't even take a shot. No, not because I believe in that stuff, because I didn't have a good angle on it. But this happened two or three times. And finally, I, I said, you know, I got to work on this, even though we're hunting. So I did. And uh, the next time he hit a point, uh, I missed the birds, but he stayed steady. That was the good news. Luckily, I had a dead quail in my vest. And so after the excitement settled down, he had done his job. I sent him out to retrieve the imaginary bird and then squirreled away the dead bird from my vest in a spot that might have been a lock, likely falling location for the dead bird had I actually hit it. He finally found it, put two and two together again. I know I'm a math major today, but it's true. He finally said, you know, if I hold steady on the flush, the boss kills a bird, I get to have the bird, at least for a while. And so, sure enough, later on that day on flat ground, there's a small covey of running chuckers. He's on point. He hits that point. They waddle off. He relocates, slams on the brakes again, and stays steady after the relocation, which is okay in my book. And luckily, Dave and I both took a beat on the same bird. He gives me credit on it. I bet he got some pellets in it too. But Flick figured out how you get a bird in your mouth. You do it right at the beginning of the transaction, and at the end, you get your reward. Good boy, and thank you, Brad Higgins, trainer extraordinaire in Nevada, for 
reinforcing that over and over and over again. Yeah, here's your last chance to win that Pete boot dryer. <clears throat> Have another prize next month, but for this one, the pleasure of warm, dry boots every morning of a hunt, and even at home, <clears throat> put them on after work. Put them on the boot dryer, I mean, <laughs> and put them on your feet after they're warm and dry. Just message me on Facebook if you have the answer to this question. Come on, everybody will be able to answer this one. Name a state where you can hunt sharp-tailed grouse. Name a state where you can hunt sharp-tailed grouse. Made sharp-tailed fajitas twice in the last couple weeks. Oh, freaking lay. Good luck on that one. Remember, message me on Facebook, any of the pages. I check them all frequently, so good luck on that. And that'll do it for this edition of the Upland Nation. Thanks for sticking with us. Thank you, Tom Fumarello. Great to talk with you again. <clears throat> Glad the young one is coming along and the old ones are still on the field. <clears throat> this part of the show is brought to you by FindBirdHuntingSpots.com. New material every week. If you haven't got it yet, search for the Ultimate Upland Checklist. Read it. Live it. Breathe it. Hunt it. You know, the podcast continues to grow every week. One way it happens. The most important way is you tell one friend. Could you do me that favor? And if you want to tell a couple thousand friends, feel free to review or rate us at Apple Podcasts. Thank you in advance. Thank you to those who've already left a rating and review. Thank you to all our sponsors. And I'll leave you with this bit of wisdom from author Helen Thompson. She says, a well-trained dog will make no attempt to share your lunch. He will just make you feel so guilty, you can't enjoy it. Until next time, I'll see you in the field. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening. <laughs>